Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Learning Journeys podcast from Lacuna Learning. We hope you're all keeping well and our fifth episode I'm going to use some snow sports language and say that I'm stoked to be joined by Leslie McKenna. Leslie has competed in three Winter Olympic Games in the half-pipe event and has multiple podium finishes in World Cup events, as well as being the first British snowboarder, male or female, to win a World Cup event. Her first coaching experience was actually in disco dancing um, before moving into alpine ski coaching. Um, She then had a really successful time with the Roxy Pro Women's Snowboard Team, uh, leading them to World Championship success and X Games medals. She then moved into um, GB Snow Sports Program Manager role for Park and Pipe, where she contributed to building that program from the ground up. And that program went on to win three Olympic medals over the last two games. She is a yoga aficionado and yoga teacher with a background in aerobics. Um, I met Leslie a few years ago through mentoring uh, and through coach developer work, and she's uh, definitely a critical friend of mine. And we are kindred spirits in that we both have a deep love and connection to the mountains. Um, she is always someone who challenges and enlightens me in different ways. So absolutely delighted to have her along and to share her journey. So thanks so much for your time, Leslie. Thanks, Doug. Um, what an intro. Not sure how I, I'm going to follow that one. But yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Cool. Well, listen, by way of warming us up and getting us going today, um, the regular spot on our podcast, um, if you could go on an adventure anywhere in the world, where would you go? Who would you go with and what would you do? So, um, yeah, that's a hard question. I had to think about it a little bit. I, I knew you were going to ask it, as you know, you always do. But um, I, I've got two choices, and I think I'd have to go with what I was feeling on the day, which one would be the first choice. Um, one choice is to actually just go to the Outer Hebrides and go on a surf mission with my my friends, my family, my surf crew camping or in the camper van and see what comes in terms of waves and where we go. That's something I've done quite a lot of. It's something that's really special and I really love. Alternatively, I'd love to go to Greenland snowboarding. I actually know some people who have been there and to go there with my partner Ewan and, and maybe a couple of friends who are snowboard guides would be just amazing. If, if I had the chance to do that, then that would definitely be a dream trip. I had very high hopes for you and you did not disappoint. You also did what I did where I hedged my bets and was like, I'll have one in Scotland and one abroad. <laughs> so I said Sky and you said hurt the Hebrides. But snowboarding in Greenland, that is unusual. But yeah, sounds pretty amazing. Listen, I gave you a wee intro at the start so people knew a bit about you, but I didn't want to steal your thunder too much. Could you maybe start at the beginning for us and tell us a wee bit about where did sport all start for you and how did that lead into skiing and snowboarding? I guess the the most influential thing on my, my sporting life, if you like, is the fact that I was brought up in Aviemore. And Aviemore is a, a little tourist resort in the Highlands of Scotland that, that also happens to be a, a ski area. Both my parents are sporty. My, my dad was actually... Um, came to Aviemore because of skiing. He was a ski instructor, cli- originally a climber from Glasgow. Real legacy there in terms of that um, Scottish climbing scene from the, the late 50s, early 60s. And that led some of that group into to skiing and almost like a wave of pioneers that came up to Aviemore and set up a life for themselves um, and, and created an outdoor adventure sports mecca, really. 
My mum's family are from Dundee. They used to come weekend skiing and walk up the mountain uh, of a weekend, have a couple of runs, walking from the bottom to the top. Um, so I, I grew up in that environment and, and as well as snow sports, as well as growing up skiing, I was in pretty much every sports club going. My mum's a PE teacher, so sport was just natural part of my, my upbringing. And then there was disco dancing also. <laughs> And all, all joking apart, disco dancing played a massive part in my, my um, I guess, my the years from about 10 years old to 14. It was a short period of time, but an influential period of time. And the outlet for disco dancing was way more creative than a lot of the other sports I did were more traditional, everything from, you know, swim club, athletic club, skating club, skiing club, you know, just any sports club going really, whereas disco dancing was sporty but with a, a different twist. I had no idea at the time, you know, when you're 11, you don't really get the more, I guess I'm going to say potentially seedy side of, or the pageant side of something like disco dancing was in the 80s, you know, you're, you're talking about the, the late 80s. So that that didn't, that wasn't really a th- uh, in the mix for me. I just loved the sparkle, loved the shine, loved the music, loved the creativity. And ironically, or interestingly, that's what got me into coaching. We used to help the kids. The dance teacher was from a ballet background. She she was actually really structured some of the time and very flamboyant and creative the rest of the time. And we did a lot of helping the, the younger kids learn their routines, make up routines. And I think that was probably my first touch on coaching, as you mentioned in the intro. Um, from disco dancing, so that would have taken me to my teenage years I I started to get really really into skiing got on the Scottish ski team took that more seriously was selected to represent um, Scotland and and the and GBR actually at youth level internationally kind of followed the pathway through skiing into international skiing did a few seasons abroad did a couple of my first couple of seasons when I was still on the Scottish ski team I trained one season in Jackson Hole in America and another season in Breckenridge. Really different resorts, really different club setups, but good coaching in both places. And then I got on the British Alpine ski team, trained on the British Alpine ski team, raced the Europa Cup circuit, and at the same time learned to snowboard. Whilst I was learning to snowboard, I realised that there's a theme here that snowboarding was more creative, more flamboyant, far more like disco dancing than alpine skiing culturally. And I was immediately drawn to that creative spirit or adventuring spirit and ended up just jumping ship. Learned to snowboard. I actually started snowboard racing, raced snowboard cross, raced alpine snowboards, but fell passionately in love with freestyle snowboarding. Then um, when snowboarding went into the Olympics in as a, a test event, that would have been in Nagano in 98. I was already starting to to get into more freestyle-based snowboarding. So by 2002, I'd qualified in halfpipe. So went to the Salt Lake City Olympics for as a halfpipe snowboarder. And then went on to Turin as a halfpipe snowboarder. Got really badly injured the year before Turin, which kind of put a, a bit of a dampener on things. I, in the lead up to Turin, I'd actually done done pretty well and I'd I'd been on the podium a few times at World Cup so more of those around me started to have high hopes of medal potential and then I got really badly hurt so that put a, an end I think or to my my expectations although I'm not sure maybe that some of the people around me 
didn't really understand how much a serious injury takes out of you in terms of time to come back. So went through a bit of a down, a slump after the 2006 Olympics in Turin, where I was just still getting back to full fitness, really. At that point, I'd had UK sport funding, had a lot of support, had my journey of all the different coaches and my way to the top of international snowboarding was took lots of twists and turns. And one of the downturns was after Turin when I was no longer funded after, I guess Turin was actually a bit of a disaster. I'd fell over in both runs and um, yeah, the, in terms of results wise, it was probably the worst it could have been. However, for me personally, it was a massive achievement because I'd got there after such a serious injury and I'd met the qualification standards. I was able to stand at the top and give it my all. So massive, massive plus for me. I was really excited, really stoked to have completed that journey. But then the massive downer afterwards of having not delivered a result and realising that there had been these huge expectations from outside was that was hard to deal with. Anyway, I got into coaching after Turin and, and became more coach manager for the Roxy Snow Team. Roxy is the female clothing range under the Quicksilver brand. Really privileged to have not only just been sponsored by Roxy, but to have worked with them and worked as the coach and the, the manager for their, their professional snow team and, and coached athletes at X Games, at World Championship event. And at the same time, still competed here and there. Through doing that, I inadvertently qualified for the 2010 Olympic. And ironically, was just then getting back to full recovery. So I had a bit of decision to make of whether I was coach or athlete, what do I do? Do I go for it and nail the qualification and quota spot or do I take a step aside? So I decided that I would I would try and go to one more Olympics and as much for my mental health as anything else. So it was a healing process as well as a, any Olympics is a huge opportunity to learn. But having been to two Olympics before in very different stages of my career and to go at the very much the end of my career, having already coached a lot to stand at the top of an Olympics, knowing what it felt like to, to be a coach as well as an athlete, allowed me to take a lot of extra information out of that experience that I don't think I would have taken otherwise. Then went into full-time coaching after 2010, after the Vancouver Olympics and completed a, a master's degree in performance coaching at Sterling, which was awesome, loved it. And that opened a lot of Different ways of thinking to me helped a lot of already formed ideas settle in a framework that was already there. I, before studying, I had no idea that some of the things I'd be thinking a lot about, especially the autonomy supportive coaching, the, the ideas from self-determination theory that I'd already been using in coaching, that that was well-researched, that there were theories there. So that was, yeah, very reassuring and exciting went on to use a lot of the thinking that I'd, I'd investigated, that researched in my, my master's degree when I worked with Pat Sharples and Hamish McKnight to bring the GB Park and Pipe team to life in 2012. So to, in 2012, Slope Style as an event went into the Olympics. There was funding all of a sudden for a Slope Style discipline in snowboarding and free ski. And there were great British athletes at the time Jenny Jones was, you know, X game medal winner, really t top of 
of the sport. James Woods was also winning X Games medals, doing really well. So UK Sport funded Slope Style and, and that's how GB Park and Pipe was born. And here we are, a couple of Olympics games later, a few Olympic medals and having had a great ride and learned a lot along the way. Wow, that was amazing, Leslie. Uh, you're one of these great guests on a podcast where I literally don't have to do anything. <laughs> you just had a series of questions there, just <laughs> listeners at home lined up. And I didn't have to ask any of them because she answered them all for me, which was great. Oh, that was amazing. And we, we could have gone through that in some detail. I just want to pull on one little thing before we talk about some of what you're doing now, which I think would be really interesting for the listeners. You went to three games and you said you had three very, very different experiences. Almost what I heard, it was almost like a sort of, I don't know, tragedy or something like that, like a Greek tragedy or something going on there. The first one was this like really young, sort of, I suppose slightly naive to some extent, athlete who went there, did her best, you know, gave it everything. And then I suppose you were at that point, Clasper was a good athlete. Then you got spectacularly injured. And I guess you talked about having your own, feeling your own success, just getting to those games. Then losing your funding and that strangely like kind of, been quite uplifting and quite like oh great that pressure's all gone now and then you said i inadvertently qualified for the 2010 olympic games which has to be the quote of the day really <laughs> i don't know anyone who inadvertently <laughs> qualified for olympic games but you did and then you talked about this like almost restorative experience at those games going in, going into vancouver um i'm just i'm just so interested in that i mean i never competed anything close to that level but my final competition before we had children it was a world age group championships. And I just remember being so pleased to just be there to represent my country. And it meant a lot more. It wasn't about winning or meddling or anything like that. I was just, the experience was, was what it was about. And I'm just wondering, was it similar for you in Vancouver? So I, I think an important thing to acknowledge in my snowboard journey was when I left Alpine skiing. So you're talking 90, 96, 97. I left after... Um, a season that had been really, really difficult to handle. We'd been on a, a Europa Cup team. We'd been really pushing as hard as we could. And one of my teammates got killed uh, racing a downhill. So worst case scenario, you know, that's something that you would never wish to happen ever. We were really young. And at the time, you know, when I look back, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm impressed at how well we handled it, how well everyone handled it. I often imagine what on earth the coaches must have been feeling and thinking during that period and it was really so that would have been in January 96 and we, I came back to Scotland and I spent a couple of weeks in Scotland went to to my teammates funeral and snowboarded a lot at home <laughs> and it was during that time I did a lot of soul searching and really asked asking myself you know what what is sport about what's the nature of sport why is it important why is snow sport important why why am i drawn so much to this because i didn't i didn't have much money i didn't have it was hard for me to be a ski racer and to to find the resources to to get the training that i would have needed to to get to international top international level i fully believed that i was able to do it if if i could get the resources and, and create the opportunities and to, until that point I had done but there was a I felt at the time a sentiment around me that that perhaps didn't believe that it was actually possible whereas the the ethos the culture the feeling and snowboarding at that time was anything's possible so cu coupled with hard work and planning you know 
strategic planning of how, how can you get good at this? How can you learn? What's important? What does it mean to you? Where does that fit in? And how are you going to collaborate with others around you? There was a, a spirit of collaboration and pioneering type drive going on that that really meant the the switch there was was easy to make. So that set me up on a, a snowboard career that wasn't connected to Olympic. This the, I went snowboarding to do snowboard World Cup and to do well in World Cup and to have a a career as a snowboarder to get the best that I could be in snowboarding. And um, at that time, Olympics was only really talking about snowboarding. It was in as a test event for for 1998 but I didn't go snowboarding to go to Olympics and I definitely went with the snowboarders to take a step away from mainstream sports politics at the time which I'd become increasingly disillusioned with so to then find myself repeatedly back in Olympic cycles (laughs) throughout my whole life to the day, I find that somewhat ironic. I'm really glad I had that transition into sport for sport's sake and elite sport for maximising the potential that I, I could in myself's sake because I think that helped me through the, the challenging parts of the Olympic cycle and also gave me a view on Olympics way more similar to to what I think the original view of the Olympics potentially was. So the idea of a, a virtuous success or a noble performance and, and not just winning. So winning is has to have some sort of nobility or virtue attached to it in order it, for it to be of value communally. So I, I think I've got a little bit of a different view on on success than potentially the status quo or the mainstream status quo at least has in Olympic sport. So going back to your question, you know, how how did it feel? How did you cope with the ups and downs? I, I, I think I go back to that transition point from when I went from alpine skiing into snowboarding and the fact that I, I love snowboarding and learning about snowboarding, even if, if I don't maybe learn the freestyle skills above where I left, you know, above when I retired now. I'm still learning about snowboarding and I love it as much now as I did when I first started. And I would really hope that that would be possible for anybody doing elite sport. But I imagine that quite often it's not the case. Thanks, Leslie. And thanks for sharing those stories that were probably not that easy to share. I kind of wrote something down there that I got the sense for you that snowboarding is about so much more to you than it's just a sport you competed in. Now, for listeners at home who are not so familiar with the amazing, creative, interesting world of park and pipe, I guess when you were telling your story of your childhood and the sport you did growing up, I was, I was struck by the um, disco dancing teacher who was also from Bali and that real tension of creativity and order, and perhaps those two things that you were always railing against or fighting against in some way. Could you give us a little bit about what it's like to create a sport like slope style or half pipe, big air, those disciplines that you have, when you're balancing up this really beautiful artistic sport with what is actually a very dangerous environment as well. How do you go about coaching in that environment? From the the coaching perspective, I think it it all all boils down to coaching where, where the exposure to consequences of risk is really high. So it actually becomes quite simple. 
you're you're dealing with a situation where if if the athlete oversteps the mark in terms of their readiness or ability the consequences of of a serious injury are really really to the fore you know it's it, it could very easily happen and having experienced serious injuries snowboarding myself I was you know that just makes you all the more aware to to deal with those serious injuries as an athlete you must feel like like it's been your decision that you haven't you know that you've not been coerced or pushed or you know put your will away in replacement of somebody else's to do the thing that ultimately you hurt yourself doing otherwise you're going to have a really hard time recovering both physically emotionally mentally so as a coach I was very much aware of that how, how do you coach in that environment what are the ethics of that how do you communicate safely clearly how do you it's really about empowerment and I know that word sometimes overused but you really do want people to be in charge of their own decision making process and be able to take responsibility for the ultimate outcome whatever that may be good or bad so that's I think where we ended up really using the self-determination based thinking was really to find a practical way to cope with the the risk involved in the learning environment yeah thanks Leslie I mean, we could go into this forever, but I'm very conscious of, of time and there's so many questions I want to ask. So I, I hope everyone um, hope maybe gets hold of you and asks you all these other questions that I'm sure are burning on their minds as well. I suppose I'm really interested just in general about this idea of creativity. And so while the execution of skills is obviously a really key part of how you get points in those disciplines, how do you go about, um, I guess, fostering individuality and creativity in that environment obviously managing up the high risk stakes that people are, are living with yeah. as a coach how, how do you go about creating environments in, in that setting which enable people to to kind of flourish and, and to produce what are beautiful things to watch on, on tv as well as things that score well in, in games i i think that um the usefulness of the autonomy supportive approach that that's really to maybe manage and potentially mitigate the risk side when you're coaching opens up a door to support the creativity and innovation so that's a really nice thing about it it's almost by managing the risk and and um, acknowledging the environment you're working in you inadvertently or or a byproduct is that you allow for that autonomy and you allow allow for different perspectives different approaches different takes or or techniques or you know just experiments to come in because you want the as a coach you want the athlete to be doing it their way because that's likely to be the safest way as long as it's well thought out you know people always say oh you're you know you guys are your athletes are crazy you know uh, they you know they they throw themselves off jumps that's not the case at all you know i think the park and pipe athletes are some of the most calculated people that you'll you'll ever meet because they are managing those risks they they have to make decisions that have consequences and that always sharpens the the decision making process somewhat so i think alongside that sharp decision making process it opens up maybe more options or options that are more suitable to the individual and that's where you find the creativity the idea also, I think in addition to that, the collaborative approach, and again, self-determination theory was really useful in this respect, the connectedness bit, 
the collaborative learning, the support in your teammates, your crew, basically, in snowboarding. If you don't have a crew, then it's no fun to go shred. So your crew is a, the people that you collaboratively learn with. So when you're learning a trick yourself, you session the feature with your friends and you you coach them at the same time as they're coaching you and you learn together. And when you're a crew member or when your buddy lands a new trick, you are equally as stoked for them as when you land a new trick yourself. It's valuable to you as a, a crew member if somebody else ups their game as it is at olympics or at any big event if if one of the your fellow competitors manages the risky environment so well that they pull off something that's never been done before that's seen as a communal good and that's something that's really special about snowboarding something that and and free ski you know the, or any i would say any of the the related sports skateboarding bmx etc that success or achievement of a never been done before trick is seen as something that's good for everybody it's a an evolutionary process that's beneficial to the group so that that also fosters creativity i would say yeah i'm gonna just do what i did last time on the previous podcast and just ask everyone just to rewind that last little couple of minutes and take a lot of notes that, that was unbelievable oh there's so much in there and i love it is one of the best features of watching slope style big air half pipe they're fist pumping after they've done runs even though they're probably going to take a medal from them now they're like i'm just so happy you nailed that trick because that trick is so hard and no one's ever done that before and we're so excited for you i love this idea about um about sessioning so you know we session something we have a feature and we spend yeah. the time working on it together it certainly resonates a lot with the work um we do in slalom canoeing we might have only like three or four gates but it's they're really hard and the guys are just working them yeah. over and over and over again, just trying to do stuff with it. It's really, really interesting. I want to ask you one more thing before we run out of time today. You've had this incredible career, an incredible background growing up in the mountains with these size like the coolest parents in the world. You now do a lot of work mentoring coaches and doing in-situ coach developer work. And you work with coaches, and, and I'm definitely one of those people who haven't had that amazing Olympic experience, haven't had that really rich background, but can still go on to be great coaches. How do you how do you support them with their development? Who so they haven't got that experience, that background. How do you get to that kind of breadth of experience and that breadth of criticality without having that physical experience? And and how do you how do you work with coaches? So, for me, when when I'm working with anybody, you know, a coach or when I used to work with athletes, trying to find what makes somebody tick is really really important because their, their little bit of genius, their spark of creativity, their special way to solve problems and see the world will work far better or come to the fore when it means something to them. So finding what makes them tick, what language they resonate with, what lenses they're looking at the world through will, will then help me to help, help them help themselves, if that makes sense. So it, that meaningfulness is is really for me the key thing, and then I I need to learn from them to understand what they're seeing and why it's important. So it's a really collaborative process. So it takes a bit of time. I need to learn, and it's not just I need to understand. I actually need to be part of the learning process so that we create it together. So that the standpoint we end up approaching a, a challenge or a, an issue or a problem, a goal from 
is is a shared one and although you know the the coach I'm working with might have a certain set of lenses that they're seeing things from and I might have my you know obviously got my own set we we have a shared set for that circumstance as well so we move on together creating something new so that that's generally how, how I approach it it's a bit like a session you know what's the feature what are we going to do let's give it a shot there's a lot of feedback back and forward and and hopefully we we get a you know, a stomp trick at the end, so to speak. You just got a gift with words, Leslie, there. A stomp trick at the end, like that. Maybe that's what we should, we should call the podcast. We'll have to have a look through it and see what works <laughs> best, I think. Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to try and pick out a couple of highlights for me, but I encourage people to listen to that again. Um, there's just so much in there. I suppose, so if we go back to the start, I suppose I was struck by that really broad range of experiences that you, you had and actually really late specialisation into your sport. That you know you actually were still skiing until what ninety six something like that. So, actually, only six years later, you were then in the Olympics as a snowboarder. So actually, there's a lot of stuff about early late specialization, but really interesting to to see how much sampling you did of different things and that broad range of you know we've we've joked about aerobics and yoga and disco dancing, but actually they were really really important. The three very different experiences at the games. I think that was just something to reflect upon. That you know why are people doing what they're doing and what are they getting out of those experiences. I love the way you described doing that Masters at Stirling. We talked about letting lots of already formed ideas settle and come together and crystallise. And perhaps that's what people have got a bit out of lockdown is just that opportunity to put some things together. Um, that real sense of snowboarding being much more to you than just the sport and it actually being a very restorative part of what you've done. And so the thing I'm really sitting with now at the end is that really collaborative approach, both for you when you're coaching athletes and, and snowboarders, but also when you're working with other coaches and finding out what makes them tick but working really collaboratively so um, I hope those things are of interest to people um, Leslie I'm very confident you're going to get a lot of people wanting to chat to you after this conversation so um, where can we keep up to date with what you're up to where can we get hold of you so you can get hold of me on either Instagram or Twitter Leslie McKenna on both so yeah hit me up um, I love chatting I love to explore ideas so so please yeah hit me up Hit me up. There you go. She's got so many cool terms, Leslie, as well. She's going to get her back on, I think, for a part two, I think. Um, Leslie, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, um, so we really appreciate that and obviously hope that um, you guys get get back to it soon and you can get back on the mountains and get people doing cool stuff again um, for us all to watch. Everyone, hope you've really enjoyed it. I've had an absolute ball with this conversation, so I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed asking the questions. Keep an eye out for future podcasts and obviously hit subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss out. Uh, And at the moment, everyone, please stay safe.